Good morning, church. On this second day of Advent, we light the candle of peace. From the time God told Abraham that he would become the father of a nation, the expectation of a promised son kept faith alive. Isaac, Isaac came as that promise to Abraham, but the prophets told of a greater son to come, one who would bring peace. Isaiah said, for a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. But before the Messiah's son could establish his reign of peace, he would have to submit to a violent death. As Isaac had been placed on the altar, so, uh, so Jesus would be placed on the cross as the sacrifice. Peace would come at a great price. Jesus gave up his life, as Paul says, making peace by the blood of his cross. Today, we light the second candle of Advent, the candle of peace. Please join us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us, John, to be a Prince of Peace in our world of division and conflict. We desperately need the peace you offer us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Glad to be with you today and uh, so thankful for this uh, season of Advent. I love, as Jason Nick already said, I love the Christmas music and Christmas lights and just everything about the season. But most importantly, that it's a time to remind ourselves of our Lord Jesus. And uh, the Advent candles help us do that, help us remember what the season is all about. Let me just remind you of a couple things happening today right here at Trinity, uh, just kind of local stuff. And so uh, if you got the email this past week, you know that we are in the midst of a <clears throat> renovation project, and we've kind of come to the completion of what our volunteers are doing, uh, just about to that point. And uh, so we have a lot of new walls and bare studs back there, and so we wanted an opportunity for anybody and everybody to be able to, to bless this project. And so uh, we're thankful for the work that's being done. <clears throat> we want to give you the chance today after the service, so don't, don't leave right now, but when we're done with the service, head back through the renovation, for one thing, to see what's going on, to see the work there, but secondly, to then uh, take a Sharpie, which are back there, and then write a verse or a phrase or a word on the studs, on the underpinnings of the walls, and then that will all be underneath once the walls get put up this next week or two, and uh, we will have those blessings in the walls of our new area. And so we did this at one of our houses uh, back some years ago ourselves, and uh, I 
love that, that idea of having Scripture covering the walls of our youth area and our kids' area and our new office area. So if you have a couple minutes when we're done here, just head back. You can see what's going on and also have a chance to write some Scripture on the walls of the church. <clears throat> uh, Bob Dine has been leading our volunteers, and he'll be back there in case you have any questions about where you can write and where you can't write or just want to know what's what as the kind of the look of the whole area has changed a bit. <clears throat> So I encourage you to do that after the service is over. And uh, the other thing is that we have a new bulletin board right out here in the Narthex foyer, lobby, whatever you choose to call it, our area out here. Um, look on the left as you go out this door right here, and it's a Christmas decoration of our uh, missionaries and our mission organizations. So it lets you see in one look at this Christmas tree all the different uh, ministries that we support as a church. So I encourage you to take a look at that as you leave today as well. And remember, we're celebrating the Lord's table together, so if you did not pick up your communion cup and, and bread as you came in, uh, maybe find a moment to slip out and pick that up before we get to the end of the service and we'll celebrate the Lord's table together. And for those of you that join us online, thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our service today and uh, hope that you will uh, experience the Lord's blessing as you, be, as you join us as a part of this service. So pause with me in a moment. Let's pray. We'll get into his word. Lord God, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this... Uh, Opportunity today to gather and to celebrate Christmas, to remember your advent and to, uh, to come together and to sing the songs that remind us of the fulfillment of prophecy and to, uh, to worship you as our king today. Lord, I, I, I pray for each person that has come to the service today or is joining online. I, I, I know we come with our own personal or, or physical issues. We come maybe with sorrows or burdens. We come with difficulties and struggles. So, Lord, I pray that you would minister to us right here where we are this morning, and that you would speak to our hearts, your word, that you would encourage us by the ministry of your spirit. And, Lord, I pray that you would guard my words, help me to accurately, rightly, appropriately communicate what you want to say to us from your word today. And then, Lord, may your living word and your living spirit be at work in us to, uh, to speak to us, to minister to us, to counsel us and guide us and teach us. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. Pray that you will, you will be our, our, our guide as we walk through the pages of your word. And I pray this in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, I have a, an important kind of personal announcement to make as we start the message this morning. Beth and I are expecting <laughs> our fifth grandchild. So, yes, that's very exciting. Uh, I paused for effect there, if you noticed it. <laughs> the, uh, our, our daughter, who lives down in Smyrna, she and her family live down, she is expecting her third child, which will be our fifth grandchild. And we've known this for a while, but just now we're able to make the announcement public. You know how that is, so you keep it quiet for a while. And, but there's, within those nine months, you know how that is with a pregnancy, there is a certain level of excitement and anticipation and, here's the word, expectancy, right? So... We even use that term to describe a mom who is in that term of pregnancy. We call it, she is expecting. 
Well, what are we expecting in that moment? We, in that time frame, it's that waiting period where we are, we are anticipating the arrival of the new baby. And so we even apply that term to pregnancy. And I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, that's really what Advent is about too, right? We're in the season of Advent. The word Advent means arrival or coming. And so for us, there's an expectancy and anticipation and enthusiasm about the coming of Christmas. But that's just part of it. It's not just about our waiting for Christmas. This is a reminder to us that the world was waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And so for Advent this year, we've taken a little different approach, as you saw as Nick started us off last week. Here at Trinity, we're focusing on the arrival of Christ, but specifically as the Son. So our title is The Birth of the Son. Now, Jesus came, of course, as the Son of Mary, but he also came, more importantly, as the Son of God. And so, throughout Scripture, we get these prophetic glimpses. God's just kind of giving us these little pictures and and preparations of his plan to send his own son to us. And so what we're doing, well, last week and this week and for the next couple of weeks, we're looking at some Old Testament characters or sons who in their own birth or life give us a picture of the coming Christ, of the coming Son of God. And last week, uh, Nick showed us how Jesus came as the second Adam. That the first Adam ruined things, broke things, and his sin and rebellion against God. And Jesus, the Son of God, came as the second Adam to fix what the first Adam broke. And we're going to move on today to the, the first two patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham and his son Isaac. And we're going to look at how they show us, give us glimpses of Jesus Christ and his coming and his advent. So today I've titled the message, The Promised Son. It's the son, but we're looking specifically at how he was the promised one. And Isaac and Jesus were both promised sons. We're going to look at the promises made, two promises made specifically in regard to Isaac that relate also to Jesus. Tell us something about him, his coming as the son. Now, last week, Nick was able to efficiently get it all in one main point, you remember. I can't do it. I can't, I'm not that good. So I can only do two points. That's the best I can do, the most efficient I can be. But there are two points, two principles, two promises that we're going to focus on this morning. And my hope is today that when we leave here, we'll come away with, one, a greater confidence in God's promises. I think that's one of the things, this, the points of this passage and these passages today. And the second is a greater appreciation for his sacrifice, and you'll see how that plays in in just a moment. So the first thing is the birth of the son fulfilled a promise. The birth of the son fulfilled a promise. And so we're going to go back and see how that was true first of Isaac. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis 17. We were in Genesis last week. We're in Genesis again, Genesis 17. And I know this is not typical for Christmas messages to go back to the book of Genesis But you'll see how this ties in so beautifully today. Genesis 17, Abram and and Sarai actually were their names originally. Abram and Sarai. They're the focus of our passage today in Genesis 17. And when we first 
meet them in this passage, in this chapter, we'll see that they're already showing their faith in God. So they've already taken this step of faith and they've, God called them to leave their homeland in Chaldea, leave their family, leave everything, and go all the way to Canaan. This was a long journey and start a new life there. And God's promise to Abram was that he would make a great nation of him and that he would give them this new promised land. So Abram travels to Canaan when he's a spry 75 years old. Now, understand, this is coming pretty late in his life. If, if any of you are near that age or older than that age and you've made a big move, you know how challenging it is. Abram and Sarai make this huge move following God's call to go to Canaan. And they get there, and sometime later, God establishes this covenant with Abram in, in chapter 12 of Genesis. He promises to give him a son. And yet still, they waited, and they waited, and they waited. They were there for a number of more years and still had no children. They didn't come with children. They did not have children once they got to Canaan yet. They were still childless. And so in chapter 17, we pick up with Abram, now 99 years old. 99 years old. God appears to him again. Here we are in chapter 17, verse 3. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. So the first, th- first thing God does is he, now he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of nations. But the ironic thing here is, remember, Abraham is still not even a father of one yet. He has no children, no son. And how can God call him the father of nations? He's 99, he's childless. Now, jump to verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed, and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? The text goes on. Sarah hears the news, too. And if you remember the story, she laughs as well. Of course they laughed. A hundred years old, 90 years old, to bear a child, it seemed impossible. It was impossible. This is a promise of God, but it seems like craziness. They had been waiting their whole lives for a child, and none had come. This promise seemed completely impossible. But in nine months, sure enough, they had a child. The promised son was born. And you remember what they named him? Isaac. And do you remember what the name means? Laughter. His name means laughter because that had been their first response when God told them they would have a son at that age, that stage of life. Then no way. They laughed. So they named him Laughter. So how is it that Isaac's birth points us to the birth of Jesus? So let's bring this around. How does this focus us on Jesus Christ? I want to show you three things here. First is that his birth was promised. We've already seen how 
Isaac's birth was promised. Numerous times God promised that this would happen. And he fulfilled that promise. The promise of the Messiah's birth came a number of different times and ways as well. A number of different prophecies in the Old Testament. I want to just focus on one this morning. And it's the verse you heard in our Advent reading this morning. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah was so certain of this promise that he spoke about this birth as if it had already happened. Did you notice that in the verse? A son is given. A child is born. He speaks as if it's already happened. Because in his mind, because it was a promise of God, it had already happened. And yet, there would be another 700 years of waiting from the time of Isaiah's prophecy to the birth of the Messiah. 700 years they waited. That's, that's even more time than Sarah and Abraham waited for a child. They thought they waited a long time. The nation waits another 700 years. Jesus' birth was promised. But his birth was also miraculous. Here's another connection. Isaac was miraculously birthed by 90-year-old Sarah. That's clearly a miracle. Even in those days, that was not an age where you continued to bear children. Jesus was miraculously conceived by a virgin named Mary. His birth was miraculous too. And we heard last week, Nick explained very carefully how and why that virgin birth was so necessary, absolutely necessary for Jesus Christ to be the Savior. His birth was, was promised, his birth was miraculous. And then the third thing is some that we sometimes, it's significant, but we sometimes miss it. His birth was a guarantee. Now, think about this with me. Isaac was only a partial fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. He was the promised son, but he was only one son. Abraham and Sarah had no other children. They had this one son. But remember, God had promised him a nation. God had said, your children will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. Wait a minute, what happened? There was only one. Ah, but through that one, God was speaking about the generations to come. Isaac was the one through whom that promise would be fulfilled. So Isaac's birth served as the guarantee to Abraham that God would make a nation of his family, which is exactly what happened. You remember, Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has a son, has many sons, 12 sons, who become the 12 tribes of Israel, and a nation is born. Jesus came as the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Messiah. His birth was the guarantee that God would fulfill all of his promises. Now, it looks like in Jesus' coming, his birth, that was just the fulfillment of one promise. But in coming, Jesus became the embodiment of all of God's promises and the guarantee that those promises would be fulfilled in him. I want to show you another passage where Paul mentions this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, we'll put it up on the screen here. Notice what Paul says. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, and he's made many, they are yes in Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that in sending his son Jesus, that in Christ himself... God's promises are fulfilled. God's promises are yes. 
They will come to pass in Jesus. You know, it's, it's 20 days now until Christmas. And just in case you hadn't been checking your calendar, or, and I know some of you are already kind of running through your shopping list. Well, 20 days, I only have 20 days till Christmas. 20 days. And so it's 20 days for us to continue this whole emphasis of excitement, anticipation, of expectancy. But I hope from this you'll also see this is a time for us to be, we should be filled with gratitude that God fulfilled his promise to send his son. As you think about Christmas over these next few weeks, remember, this was the fulfillment of God's promise. And in sending his son, it guaranteed that all the rest of his promises will also come to pass. That's extraordinary. That kind of enlarges our view of Christmas, I think, when we think about it that way. All the rest of God's promises will come to pass. Uh, four years ago, when our first grandchild was born, in 2017, Beth started a family tradition. Uh, she decided she was going to set up what she calls Mumsy's Book Club. And so every month, she gets two books, one for each of our kids, their families, and their kids, and she wraps them up, and sends them to them. And so our kids, our grandkids, have come to expect this now. There's our key word, expectancy, right? So every month, a new book from Mumsy comes. It's the same book for each family on the same month, but they never know what it is until they open it up and see it. Now, over these years, as that has happened each month, there now comes this not only expectation, but really an assurance that it's going to come the next month too. They've seen this happen so regularly, they now know that next month and the next month and the next month, another book is going to come from Mumsy. Jesus Christ in his coming is that guarantee to us that God is going to keep fulfilling his promises. If he sent his son, if he fulfilled that promise, he will not fail on any other promise the books will continue to show up. The promises will continue to be fulfilled. God gave his son. He gave his gift wrapped in swaddling clothes. And his son came with the promise that all other promises will be fulfilled. So the promised son is the fulfillment of all his promises. But there's something else about Isaac there's something else that points us to Jesus here. It's not just the fact that he was born as a fulfillment of a promise. Remember that part of the promise to Abraham was that he would become the father of many nations, not just one nation. Sometimes we skip over that. The many nations. So we think of the Jewish nation. That came from Abraham, the Israelites. But he said many nations. God also promised Abraham that in, back in Genesis 12, that through him, through Abraham, through his seed, his descendants, all nations on the earth would be blessed. Now, how would that happen? How would that promise be fulfilled? Well, of course, we know now it was going to happen through Jesus, who came as the Son of Mary, the Son of God, but also now the Son of Abraham. 
And see, here, you wouldn't necessarily know this unless you went to the genealogy in Matthew 1. And I know usually you come to genealogies, we skip over those, right? It's just a list of names. But the genealogy of Jesus is important because in that list of names, you go back and you find Abraham. Jesus was a son of Abraham. He came as a Jew. So through him, through a descendant of Abraham, all the world would be blessed. Now, how would that happen? How would Jesus fulfill this promise to bless the nations? Well, there's another incident in the life of Isaac that shows us. It gives us a view of that. Here's our second point this morning. The sacrifice sacrifice of the son fulfilled a promise as well. His birth fulfilled a promise, but his sacrifice fulfilled a promise. So now flip over to Genesis chapter 22. So again, back to your Bible or your phone, whatever you're using. Go to Genesis 2, a few chapters beyond where we were. And here we catch up with, with... Abraham, when Isaac is now a boy, we're not sure how old, we're not told, maybe he was even a teenager at this point. So Abraham has his son Isaac, his promised son, and now God tests his faith in this extraordinary way. Look at verse 2 of Genesis 22. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, don't, don't just pass over this. Catch what's going on here. This is Isaac. This is the promised son. This is the one they had waited for all their lives, the one that God had said he would give them. This was the son through whom all the nations would come and the nation would be built and the land would be fulfilled. And all of the promises of God rested on this son Isaac. Why would God say, sacrifice him? How could this possibly be? And yet Abraham obeys God. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So they get to Mount Moriah. They leave the servants behind. Abraham and Isaac begin to go up the mountain. Remember, Isaac asks his father. So he's old enough to know what's going on, whatever age he was. He says, We have the wood and the fire, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And remember Abraham's response, God will provide the lamb. Now, Abraham didn't know how that was going to happen yet, but here's his faith in action. God will provide the lamb. And this was a test, by the way, not only of Abraham's faith, but of Isaac's faith, because they get to the top of the mountain Abraham builds the altar, he puts the wood on the altar, he binds his son, and he lays him on the altar. Now, if Isaac was old enough to know what was going on, he was probably old enough to have resisted or run away or whatever, and yet he allows his father to go through with this. Tremendous faith of both Abraham and Isaac. And so as Abraham is lifting the knife about to sacrifice his son, the angel, as you know, stops him in midair And sure enough, God provides. Look at verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the top of the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham knew it was going to be provided. He didn't know how. And this happens on Mount Moriah Do you know what was built on Mount Moriah years later? Do you know where this place is? This is Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem would be built there, and the Son of God would come there, and there would become the sacrifice God would provide, the lamb that God would provide on the same mountain so many years later. Again, an amazing fulfillment of God's promise that Abraham claims on the top of that mountain. There's one big difference, however, between Isaac and Jesus in the story right here because Isaac was spared from death. Jesus had to experience death to become our substitute, our sacrifice. He was the ram in the thicket. He was the sacrifice. And so God fulfilled his promise to provide the lamb when Jesus went to the cross. Now, I want you to see the comparison in Scripture here because the Bible really uses almost the same phrase to describe what Abraham did and what God the Father did. Look at verse 12 in our Genesis passage. Now, I know that you fear God, God says to Abraham, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then when Paul writes about Jesus, and we'll put this verse on the screen, Romans 8, 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give, graciously give us all things? See, Abraham was willing to give up his son because he trusted God. And in doing so, he proved his faith in God. But God the Father gave up his son all the way to death. And he proved to us his own faithfulness because it was the only way to save us from our sin. So why do we talk about Christ's death during Advent? I mean, isn't this the time we're supposed to focus on the baby and the manger and all the sweet and cuddly things about a birth? And Yes, it's about his birth. But as the life of Isaac tells us, it's also about the sacrifice. Advent means coming, right? Arrival, coming. Why did Jesus arrive? Why did he come? He came to die. You know, when you see the manger that we have right up here, it's right below the cross. You almost can't even look at the manger without also seeing the cross. And there's some good visual intentionality in that. Because if you only look at the birth and you don't think about the death of Christ, then you miss the whole purpose of his coming. And it was there all along. If you saw our video that Beth and I sent out yesterday and we were looking at our manger scene, it's there too. The, the sign that the angel gave to the shepherds is they would find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. What was that sign? Well, to shepherds who were raising the sacrificed lambs for the temple, they knew that was a sign of a lamb that was going to be sacrificed. That's exactly what they did with those lambs when they were born. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple for his dedication, Simeon told Mary that a sword would pierce her heart. What was the point? He was already prophesying that Jesus would die, that there'd be great sorrow for his mother. From his birth, Jesus' destiny was a cross. So what does this mean for us? Let me take you back to Romans 8.32 because there's something I want to make sure we grab a hold of this morning. We're reminded that God's willingness to give up his own son as a sacrifice 
proved that he would give us anything and everything else we need. So look at the verse again. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, Paul says, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So Paul is saying, hey, if, if God didn't spare his own son, if he was willing to give up his own son to death for you, for your salvation, how would he not do anything and everything else to save you? God's heart for us, God's love for us, shown in giving his son, proves his willingness to do whatever it takes. So just to wrap up these two points this morning, let me say it in two phrases. By sending Jesus to us, God proved that all his promises will come true. But by allowing Jesus to die, God proved also that all of his provisions for us are sufficient are enough. Because God sent his son to be your substitute, to be your sacrifice, you can rest assured that God will do everything else needed for your salvation. Notice what Paul says in the next few verses. He really fleshes this out. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Paul's point here is that if Jesus Jesus came and he died in your place, but not only that, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave, came back to life, went to heaven, and now he is in heaven interceding for you, praying for you. He is continuing to do all that is needed for our salvation. What else could he possibly do to prove his love for us? What else could we possibly need from him than what he's already done? Last week, Beth and I went down to Atlanta. We saw the Dickens Christmas Carol. It's one of kind of my favorite Christmas stories that just uh, add into our Christmas traditions. And uh, it was at the Alliance Theater. They do this every year, but they had a new production this year which was a wonderful retelling of the story. But if, if you remember the, in the story, the ghost of Christmas past is the first one to visit Scrooge on Christmas Eve. And he tells him, he says, I'm here uh, for your benefit, for your welfare. And Scrooge is not, at that point, he is not impressed. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to hear anything. And he says, he kind of mumbles to himself, and he says, a night of uninterrupted sleep would be much more for my welfare. And to that The ghost of Christmas past says, well, for your reclamation then. And that's exactly what happens in the story. So by showing him his past, his present, his future, it's to reclaim this man from his miserable, miserly life. And in this particular production, at the end, it was a scene I've never seen before, as Scrooge is at the end and he's finally repentant, he's finally ready to celebrate Christmas, they bring out all the other characters and they have them kind of stand on the side so you see everybody that's been a part of his life. And he turns and he looks and he, he asks for forgiveness. There's a point in which he is reclaimed. Now, That's nice in the Christmas carol story. But what we know is that Jesus came for our reclamation, for the forgiveness of our sin, and that he will stop at nothing 
to reclaim us for himself. He came to this earth, he died for you, and he will stop at nothing to reclaim you. And that means more than just your salvation. That's obviously the first and most important part of this. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the first and best and greatest gift you need to receive today. But if you know him already as your Savior, there's more he wants to give you, the more he wants to do in you. He will not stop in the reclamation of your life. And that means working on your character, working on those attitude issues, working on those sin problems. The point Paul is making is that God will do everything needed to restore your soul. And that's a wonderful promise, that in his coming, Jesus not only came to die for our sin, he came to work his sanctification in us. Today, we lit the candle of peace. And our, our world, when our world thinks of peace, they think of it as the end of all war. But what we know as Christians is that world peace will only come when Jesus Christ returns and when he fights that final battle to establish his kingdom of peace. But we also know that there's an offer here of personal peace. That when we light the candle of peace, it's not just about the end and when eventually our world will be at peace. It's that Christ in his coming came for our peace. And that peace only comes when we stop fighting God and we receive and accept his work, his will in our lives which is what the angel meant when he said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, who is that? That's those who have responded to his favor, to his grace. It's also what Paul meant when he said in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we find peace? Peace. It's through faith in Jesus. He came to give that peace to our lives. So what we learned this morning is that we can have peace because God sent his promised son and because that son went to the cross to be our sacrificial lamb. The son of God became the lamb of God for us. As we prepare this morning for our communion time that we'll end our service with today, Let's camp on that thought. Jesus Christ came as the Lamb of God to pay the price for our sin. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we are so thankful that we can see this, that this Christmas season is a reminder of, of the promise that you fulfilled to send your own Son. And Lord, we thank you for that great fulfillment, that great coming, that arrival to our earth. But Lord, we thank you too that your son came with a purpose, came with a plan, came willing to give up his own life to be the ram in the thicket for us, to be the sacrificed lamb who gave his life to pay the price for our sin. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning we come and we celebrate not only the baby in a manger, but we celebrate 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's in his name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.